We're starting today with what I'll call the tale of two Trump endorsements. On Tuesday, South Carolinians went to the polls to vote in the 2022 primary election. There were two different congressional races in South Carolina where an endorsement from Donald Trump was in play. In each of those districts, the incumbent had fallen out of favor with the former president, but their challengers had earned Trump's stamp of approval. Things played out very differently in each of those races. I'm Emily Williams, and this is Understand South Carolina from the Post and Courier. First, we're going to Myrtle Beach in South Carolina's 7th Congressional District, where reporter Nick Reynolds was covering the primary this week. Nick ended election night at a tiki bar in Myrtle Beach at the election night party for Russell Fry, a state representative backed in his race by former President Trump. Fry not only secured the most votes, but he avoided a runoff against incumbent Tom Rice. That's the crowd at Fry's election night party chanting, Fry that Rice. It became very clear early on that Rice was, uh, forgive my expression, cooked in this election. He was down almost immediately when the first Horry County results started to roll in and everyone knew that Horry County was going to decide this thing. They were not looking good for him in any scenario. We come to find out later out of all the district's precincts, I think he won 16 total. And those 16 he won were by a total margin of about 320 votes. And we're talking out of about 80,000. Not a very good night for Rice. Now, you probably remember that Tom Rice shocked his party last year when he voted to impeach then-President Trump after the January 6th insurrection. He was one of only 10 Republicans to do so. It was clear from that moment that he would surely face primary challengers. In total, there were six people who ran against Rice for the Republican nomination. The clear leader from that group was Russell Fry. He was a South Carolina state representative and currently the House Republican Conference's majority whip. So it's a very high position in uh, House leadership, has a lot of sway over legislation that gets through in the state house, and is you know, generally one of the go-to guys for the party when they need to get something done in the legislature. The storyline with each of them is centered mostly around their relationship to Donald Trump. Tom Rice actually rose to national prominence for um, becoming one of 10 Republicans who voted to impeach him following the January 6th riots at the U.S. Capitol, and later said that he regretted voting not to certify the results of the elections, which was inspired mostly by Trump's unsupported claims of voter fraud. Congressman Rice shared why he had those regrets about voting to not certify the election results at a Post and Courier Pints and Politics event. Once they were in there and they were shouting, hang Mike Pence, and that, his vice president stood with him for four years through thick and thin, and his wife and his daughter hiding out in the Capitol, not wanting to leave because they were afraid they wouldn't be able to carry out their duty. And the president to say he didn't have courage, uh, that was more than I could take. And, and, uh, and that's why I regret that I voted to, uh, not to certify. Russell Fry, meanwhile, has leaned into those claims and has actually gotten the endorsement of the former president. Russell Fry, fantastic guy. I've gotten to know him very well. And he loves the state and he's doing really well. And Russell will lower taxes, cut regulations, and bring back manufacturing to South Carolina. Russell will fully protect our first and second amendment. 
Driving into Myrtle Beach on election night, I noticed one of Tom Rice's billboards looking over the highway with the slogan, focused on what matters. And that's kind of how he's really focused his entire campaign to this point. You know, he's essentially told voters that, um, you know, this was a vote of conscience. You know, my principles wouldn't allow me to do anything other than vote for impeachment in this instance. I hope you can respect that. And here's my record, hoping that that would get him by. But Fry, meanwhile, has you know, not only said what he's needed to say to earn the president's endorsement and to cast himself as a candidate in the Make America Great Again mold, you know, he's also tried to focus on painting Rice as someone who's out of step, not just with the district's interests, but with the residents of the district themselves, where Rice has primarily been campaigning in, uh, I guess I'd describe them as these business casual environments, uh, doing roundtables with local business leaders, meeting with um, you know top donors in smaller events and occasionally dropping in to just meet with common voters you know where they are at a diner or something like that fry has actually sought to develop a campaign that has almost embodied the populist movement that has i mean really come to define the republican party today he's even attended motorcycle rallies his closing events were something called the fry the rice tour where he was actually having um, you know these almost carnival like events where you know average people would come out you know from the republican base that ultimately became a bit of a spectacle in their own regard you know no other candidate was campaigning like that Ultimately, I think the results of that were pretty evident on election night. Ahead of an election, politics reporters are always thinking about the likely outcomes, all the possible scenarios. So going into election night, what were you thinking about? What were you maybe expecting to happen with this race? Rice being the only anti-Trump candidate on the ballot was kind of in a league of his own. And we sort of, you know, put him in that category and then figured, okay, the rest of the candidates are competing for Trump folks in this instance. Russell Fry, not only with Trump's endorsement, but also the most organic fundraising out of all the other challengers, was the person that we pegged as the most likely victor in the race for the Trump vote. Then we just kind of had to spitball you know, whether the other candidates would be able to steal enough of the Trump vote to force the election to go to a runoff between Fry and Rice. So that's what we were mostly looking at, expecting that Fry is going to do very well, but this is going to a runoff. We did not anticipate what actually happened on Tuesday night. What actually happened was that Fry was able to avoid a runoff and beat Rice by a more than 25-point margin. We got word from Fry's camp that they were no longer writing a runoff preparation speech, but speedily writing a victory speech. He essentially started off by saying that we did what everyone said could not be done. Today, the conservatives in the Republican Party won. Today, Donald Trump won. And today, the voters of the 7th Congressional District won. And that's kind of how he's painted his entire campaign. And that's how he has framed himself in victory. Ultimately, when he um, delivered his speech, he didn't just say that, you know, the people of the 7th District won or that Donald Trump won. He said that the entire district won, kind of equating them all together. If you do look at his messaging, it's been based on two things. Tom Rice is bad and Donald Trump is good. And ultimately, that was a winning message. And there's not really too much more you could say about that. Like I said before, this was the tale of two Trump endorsements. The other was in South Carolina's first congressional district, 
which includes Charleston. A couple weeks ago, we did a deep dive on this podcast about that race. I'll link that in today's show notes, but if you missed it, don't worry. Reporter Caitlin Bird will get you up to speed. Some of the reason for the interest in this race is because former President Donald Trump decided to get involved. Nancy Mace landed in Trump's ire after becoming a vocal critic of his in the immediate aftermath of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. She famously went on national news outlets like CNN, where she said she would be, quote, a new voice for the Republican Party. When Fox News asked her if she still thought there was room or a place for Donald Trump and the Republican Party moving forward, she very curtly responded, I do not. And that was enough for her to fall out of public grace with a man who, regardless of how anyone feels about him, remains an incredibly powerful player in Republican politics. In the 2022 midterms, he has decided to play in a lot of races across the country. And in this particular contest, it was unclear exactly how that influence was going to shape the outcome of the race, especially because not only did he endorse Katie Arrington, who was challenging the incumbent Nancy Mace, but Nancy Mace had worked previously on his campaign. So she did have a Trump streak and alliance about her. But she wasn't Trump enough to earn his full-throated endorsement in the way that he gave Miss Arrington. So here, in South Carolina's first congressional district, we had another race where the incumbent, this time Congresswoman Nancy Mace, didn't have former President Donald Trump's support. And their number one opponent, in this case, Katie Arrington, did. Regardless of outcome, I knew that one of the sentences in my story was going to be that the outcome of the race either affirmed Trump's power in the Republican Party, or it showed the limitations of Trump's power in the Republican Party. It became something of an endorsement proxy war between Trump and his former United Nations ambassador, Nikki Haley who is the most influential first district voter. She lives on Kiowa Island, a very affluent and gated community. And she really took a leap by getting out and endorsing Nancy. And days later, Katie announced her bid. And within 24 hours, Trump endorsed Miss Arrington. There was a question as to whether or not Nikki Haley's influence might prove more powerful here. And so that's what I kind of went into primary night thinking was, what is this race going to tell us about the state of what it means to be a Republican in South Carolina in this type of district? So heading into election night on Tuesday, how were you preparing? What were the possible outcomes that were going through your mind? And did you feel like you knew what was likely to happen? You know, as political reporters, we go into that night you know, thinking through all the different scenarios that could happen. Well, in this particular race, that meant writing almost every possible situation we could fathom because we really genuinely didn't know how this was going to shake out. I talk with campaigns all the time. They share polling with me on the record, off the record, most of the time off the record. And so I go into election nights with a sense of where things might be going. But in this race, it seemed like it was anyone's guess. And everyone was sort of 
waiting with bated breath to see how it was going to shake out. And I had three different versions of stories. And it ran so late into the night that we had to publish our initial story saying that it was tight and this battle was going into the night. That race wasn't called until 11.13 p.m. Nancy May survived. I also want to thank Katie Arrington for stepping into the arena. It is not easy to put yourself out there, to put yourself in public, to put it all on the line and take that risk. And I want to thank her for her passion, for she worked hard in the field, her supporters were passionate. I want to thank her entire campaign for jumping into this race because it's going to make our campaign even stronger in November to keep the first. Katie Arrington was about 40 minutes away across town in Somerville at a hotel, and my colleague Emma Whalen was there keeping eyes on the skies and tabs on the room, and that was certainly a much different situation, you know, when you're facing the reality that this race is not going to go your way, it's not going to break for you this time. Katie got up and gave a concession speech almost at the exact same time that Nancy in Mount Pleasant was giving her victory speech. She kept her promise, she endorsed Nancy Mace, and she encouraged her supporters to unify behind the Republican nominee. So we have these two congressional districts, these two Trump endorsements, and these two very different results. Why? Why do we see things play out so differently in the first and in the seventh? To the outside eye, you would think that there's more things in common than are different when you're looking at the 1st and the 7th congressional districts. It stretches along the entirety of South Carolina's coastline, but the truth is the only thing they really have in common is they both kiss the Atlantic Ocean. After that, the political realities of these two places are very, very different. The 1st district, you've got Republicans down here like Tim Scott. Mark Sanford, now Nancy Mace, Nikki Haley. In Horry County, you've got Republicans that really tear into that red meat in a way that Republicans down in the first may only pick at on their plate. Horry County, the district's population center, is extremely pro-Trump. In 2020, the county itself actually went for him with about 66% of the vote. That's an overwhelming victory. You add that to the fact that they already have one of the most conservative Republican organizations for their county party. You're added up to what's essentially a you know, grassroots organizing mechanism behind you know a more MAGA candidate. Really, everything was working against Rice in this one. Whereas I think in SC1, you had an example of a savvy politician who already knew her district navigating that effectively. In the first Nancy Mace had worked for Trump. She had campaigned on being a pro-Trump candidate in 2020. In 2022, she doesn't have his public support. She doesn't have his endorsement. She's concerned about his actions and behaviors that she saw as being problematic in leading up to the violence on January 6th. But what she doesn't do is back that up with the actions that Tom Rice takes. Nancy Mace does not vote to impeach. She does not vote for the creation of the bipartisan January 6th Select Committee. Tom Rice 
is one of 10 who voted to impeach. He crossed a line that would prove to be such a greater political sin and that would land so much harder in the seventh than maybe it might have in the first. The reality is Nancy came out strong against him, but backed away when the heat got hot. Tom Rice crossed the line that only 10 Republicans would do, stood by his vote, defended it as the constitutional vote, and said that he would wear that vote like a badge of honor, said that if he was given the opportunity to go back and do it again, that he would. He doubled down on his choice, whereas you saw Mace align herself with Trump policies, Trump ideas, but not wrap herself in the man. There was a distinction that Nancy makes that Trump era policies are what she wants to push, but she's not going to necessarily be waving that Trump banner in the way that Katie Arrington was. Tom Rice wasn't going to wave any Trump banner this year. And in the seventh district, voters said no more. Two different districts, two different Republican responses to Donald Trump. And now you have two very different results, with one facing the end of his political career and the other surviving to live another day. Before we wrap up today, there's one more primary race we want to recap for you. Assistant Columbia Bureau Chief Shauna Adcox was covering the Democratic primary for South Carolina's 2022 race for governor. There were two top contenders— in that race. Joe Cunningham, former congressman, first district, and Mia McLeod, state senator from Northeast Columbia. And it was known that they were going to be one and two, just where they would fall was up in the air. So Joe Cunningham was the first district congressman and his kind of claim to fame is that in 2018, he flipped the first district blue for the first time in 40 years. He happens to be 40 years old. So the first time really in his lifetime, part of what he was running on in terms of telling voters is I flipped a seat. I did what was considered the impossible before. I can do it again. I'm the guy who can win in November. Vote for me. And also because he was a congressman, he he had certainly the best name recognition out of the five. Mia McLeod, state senator since 2010. So she's been in the legislature for 12 years. She's a South Carolinian born and bred, and she made the distinction that Cunningham was not. But she comes from rural South Carolina. She's a small business owner. Um, she also reminded voters that she was the first black woman running for governor of South Carolina, making history in that just being a candidate alone. And she usually followed that up by saying, but I'm not running to make history because I already made history. I'm running to make a difference. Also, part of her pitch was that she has two young sons that both, she said, do not want to live in South Carolina. She said she was running to make a South Carolina that they would want to still live in. So like you said, we knew it was going to come down to these two candidates, Cunningham and McLeod. How did things play out on election night? He started leading the race, even with less than 1% of the votes coming in, and he led the entire way. She's about 24 percentage points behind. She did the best, and it makes perfect sense, in her home district of, you know, PD, Marble County. She's from Bennettsville. 
she actually got 80% of the vote in Marlboro County. As expected, Cunningham did the best in the Low Country in the Tri County area in Charleston, Berkeley, Dorchester. He was above 83% in all three of those. He was leading in 31 of, of South Carolina's 46 counties. Republican Governor Henry McMaster had an easy route to a primary victory this time around. So we know that in the fall, it's going to be Cunningham and McMaster. What did we learn about Cunningham as a candidate for governor in this primary race that may tell us some about how he plans to run against McMaster? Cunningham really did not ever run against McLeod, per se. He, he was always sort of focusing on the general, saying, you know, he's previewing essentially the race that will officially start today. He will be running against South Carolina's oldest governor in history. Cunningham turned 40 a day before McMaster turned 75. He's running on things like legalizing marijuana, legalizing sports betting, expanding Medicaid eligibility, things that Republicans have not been wanting to do. Cunningham will say, I'm the new guy versus old. South Carolina needs to turn a page. We need to do something different. That's going to be what we're going to hear a lot about. Because the future of our state is bright. But only if we look ahead, not behind. My plans as governor, they're ambitious. Because I think we have to. All right, that's all for today. For more coverage of these and other primary races, go to postandcourier.com. I'll include some links to related stories in today's show notes and some information about how to sign up for a politics newsletter. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next time with a different news story from our state.